episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me as always is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello. So um, today is Friday, September 8th, I think, when we're recording this, It is right? indeed the 8th. Um, it's a nice Friday morning. We're kind of switching it up. I'm a little Friday morning recording. Um, but we've got a pretty good episode for you today. We're going to talk about book titles. We're going to talk about... Um, childbirth. <laughs> we're going to talk about the miracle of childbirth, folks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The thing you want to hear from us most about. Um, so we're going to do all of that and probably some more. Um, but before we do, before we get to those things, how about the basics? It's September. Man. You that guys. Was, that was very. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's September. I am so excited. That means it's time to share with you our special episode September dates. The Query Show goes live next Thursday, September 14th. Writing by Reading is the next Thursday, which is the 21st, which is my birthday. It is? I actually yes. didn't know that. Well, All now right, you do. Now I do. Um, um, and then the 28th is the First Pages episode. These are all Thursdays. Um, so definitely take a listen. These are all available on Patreon. And send us your queries and your first pages at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. So speaking of September, as mm-hmm. you... Um, realized with my wonderful vibrato just now that's a little self-reviewing of your own vibrato i'm sure the people will speak about oh i'm sorry i i'm not singing alicia keys so (laughs) (laughs) just wait (laughs) it's a long episode i got a lot of time left it's fall um it's fall it's fall and fall is a really special time in publishing not just because like eric and i can be sitting here wearing sweaters which yeah. actually neither of us are wearing today, yeah, and I'm so, a little disappointed. So that's in us. the thing with that is I I got up this morning like ready to be fallish, and instead I like went for a quick walk in the morning. It was like way too hot. I was crabby, <laughs> and I had this flannel on, and I was like I was just like mad about like being too hot. So I threw on a ratty T-shirt instead. Yeah, but, it's not ratty. Um, it's lovely. <laughs> you look good in light blue. Yeah. Well. Um. So. Yeah, it's fall. It's fall. And that in publishing, I think, is, it, like you're saying, like it's sort of the most important time of the year, I would say. I think it is. And, I mean, it, it that's true on a lot of different fronts, right? Like, because it's obviously fall, um, as we've talked about and kind of previewed, um, a lot of the big books are coming out in the next yeah. couple of months, right? Like, this is kind of when, um, especially like later in the fall, like maybe October, November, um, you start to get... Like the real heavy hitters of the year, you know, that's kind of when those those things come out. And that's obviously as a book buyer and a reader, um, really exciting. And I know that I always like end up buying like most of the books I buy during the year, like in fall. And Well, yeah, you're not like grumpy and uncomfortable anymore because it's not summer. <laughs> I know. Um, but it's also it's also kind of busy and interesting on our end, too. Yeah. Because people are back. Right. People are back. Yes. Yeah. Um so when I started agenting in 2013, yeah. I was told, you know, like you have the option of taking books out in the summer. Yeah. So what what that means, if you're not familiar with that term, it's basically like an agent submitting books to editors. Like when you take a book out, that's that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and traditionally, you do that in the spring and you do that in the fall yeah. only. 
because otherwise like everybody's going to be away from their desks. They're not going to get get it read. It's not going to like you're just going to make your author go crazy because it's going to be like, well, I submitted it and now we're not going to hear anything in six months versus three. Um, But that's been changing quite a bit. I think mm-hmm. the you know the winter season for book releases is growing quite a bit. It really is. And and so is so is summer. And so because these seasons are not it's not just two anymore. It's kind of everything else is growing. People are actually doing stuff in the summer. Like I sold a bunch of books this summer. Yeah. But I still didn't take anything out. Right. Um and that's, you know, that that and and I think most agents decide to do that just to wait until September first. Well, it's just tough because um, it feels like it's there's not quite a consistent stance on it yeah. yet. Like where you know a lot of editors are kind of gone during the summer. I know that it felt like for me this summer I just like wasn't at my desk ever. No, like I felt like it was a lot of travel and like you know some conferences and meetings and like you know actually I like I signed a bunch of people this summer, which yeah. I think on the agent side is. A good time for that because it's sort of a period where when the industry itself slows down a little, you have more time to spend on like reading manuscripts and trying to commission some things and like actually meeting writers. It's also Um, good to sign in the summer because then you can say, great, I signed you in July. We're going to take your book out September 1st. Get it ready. Right. So that's the thing that I usually try to do um, is – like get everybody like in the – like you know, like right around like May or something to be like, hey – Let's have all your stuff ready by mid or early fall, and we can kind of take it out then when everyone is as locked in and paying attention as possible. And that usually it usually works pretty well. It's a nice structure for things, and it gives you know it, it's theoretically a nice time because all your writers go off and you know work on things during the summer, and you can kind of focus on other stuff. But like <laughs> now it's fall, and all of the people I'm like working with uh, newly are like they all like delivered at once. <laughs> Welcome to agenting, <laughs> which is awesome in one regard because now I've got all these things. You know, like my whole list is like you know handing things you know for us to work on and talk about. But it's like man, it is no longer vacation time. <laughs> like yeah. um, things have really picked back up, and um, yeah, it's just it becomes kind of a mode shift a yeah. little bit right now. Good um, thing my sweaters match my eye strain. <laughs> Good thing your sweaters match your eye strength. <laughs> if, if there's one good thing about fall, folks, it's that. Um, but no, it's, I mean, honestly, it's a really exciting time for me. And I remember like being, you know, on the editorial side of things too. It was, it was sort of the same way. Like summer was a little slower, but then fall came and like suddenly the summer Fridays went away and like everybody, you know, like you suddenly had to get ready for like sales conferences again and stuff. And I don't know. It's, it's a good time. But it's also a very busy time. And I guess, like, if you like what you're doing, which is true for us, I think, um, you know, it's it's good because you got all this stuff going on. But it's like, energizing. It's very energizing. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel that way. I've always kind of felt that um, the year starts in publishing in fall as opposed to at the beginning of the actual calendar year. But yeah. Or even at the beginning of the fiscal year. Yeah. It's just like it starts September 1st. Yeah. Exactly. That's kind of an – do you feel more productive? I feel – so much more productive in the last week than I was in all of August. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's – I kind of felt that way this week because, I don't know, I was traveling a bunch this summer and stuff. Obviously, you know, we missed a couple weeks on the show just because we – including last week because we were in various places that weren't our desks, you know. And um, But I don't know. Like, it always makes you 
feel like everything is new in books right now because suddenly, you know, like I said, like all the projects I've been sort of waiting on, ready, really excited to have come in there, you know, they're in, they're back. And, um, I don't know. It's like you do a bunch of planning for like right now and now right now is happening and that's exciting and it's a lot of work and you just hope it'll fly and soon it'll be, you know, January and I'll be, you know, wondering where all the time went, but Important question for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. How many years do you think it's going to take to have a pumpkin spice book <laughs> scratch and sniff cover? <laughs> wow. Um, not a, not very long anymore because we, ju- we just there invented are, it. There um, are pumpkin it... spice Cheerios now. Yeah, that was that was alarming. So, um, I mean, next year maybe? <laughs> next yeah. year? How can we make – yeah, it's you time to You know how they like the people phys- sent resumes? Yeah. Or like at least I know that from Legally people Blonde sent the movie. Res- oh, yeah, no, yeah, from yeah. Legally Blonde the movie. But like, you know, you can have your sa- <laughs> stationary – That's my entire law like... education, that movie. <laughs> You can have like your stationery scented yeah. or you can have like your pen scented. Like remember those yeah. those markers from when you were a kid. I'm just wondering how long until there's like a really good like Salem fall New England witch book that smells like pumpkin spice. Yeah, but I feel like it's going to make for one stinky Barnes and Noble, you know? Yeah. Like you're going to have like a whole stack of these and they're all going to be because like little kids are going to come through and like scratch them open. I don't know. Pier it's... one manages it with all the candles. <laughs> yeah, but the candles aren't lit. So? Like, I don't know. I don't well, know. Anyway. This is this is for a chemist to decide, not us. But there you yeah. go. Here's no the one, idea. No one steal our idea of pungent books. <laughs> <laughs> so this morning, we were kind of figuring out what we wanted to say. And you pointed out something to me that immediately made me furious, as many things that <laughs> immediately <we'd>, do. <laughs> we look at do. Um, I immediately became enraged. Um, and... Thinking about it more, I guess it's probably because this thing we're about to talk about is just like another example of one of those little like cottage industries that just like pop up all around the book publishing process that like I feel like writers and especially like in the realm of self-publishing, there's always all this stuff that you can like suddenly pay for that I didn't even know existed. And this one, (laughs) this one struck me as very, I don't know, like I got pretty worked up about it. Tell us what it is, Laura. It's a book doula. A book? A book doula. Yes. So can you tell us what a doula is for those who may not know? As yes. I did not. I also – it's been a very stressful morning, folks. I also <laughs> learned what a what a doula is. Yep. Yep. Clearly, Eric has never given birth. Well, yeah. But, you so- know, I like to think that, you know, childbirth <laughs> is actually more painful for the man involved. So <laughs> – just kidding. So uh, a yeah. doula. I love how you actually had to say just kidding. Like you that's never, the only time no, 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 you've no, no, ever said people, it. Because people will, people will write in. We will get emails, <laughs> and I will get tweets and say you'll get text actually, messages. Actually, Eric, childbirth is way worse. For it's like, <laughs> I don't need that. I don't need that, and I don't want that. I just figured out your fan hashtag. Oh God. Hashtag actually, Eric. Oh Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so, so a, doula, a doula is a doula is basically like a birthing coach, right? Mm-hmm. It's a person who is there to coach a woman through pregnancy and childbirth in the first days of um, having a baby and is basically supposed to prepare you for that and to support you emotionally. They're there in the birthing room chamber, the birthing chamber. I don't know what it's called, but I would like a chamber if I ever give birth. (laughs) Write that down. I'm not Um, not writing that down. Um, (laughs) But so a doula, though, this is not a doctor. They're not a, medi- they're not not a, a midwife. This is not a person. So th- 
the expertise is simply just emotional support. Yeah, emotional and like prep stuff. Like they, I from what I understand, like they're the ones that like coach you through the breathing. Yeah. They, you know, like they hold your hand. Yeah. They like, you know, tell you you're pretty when you can't touch your feet. That sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Well, before we dig into whether or not the the book doula is a useful um, person in a writer's life, um, what do we think about um, writing as childbirth as an image? What do we like that? Do we not like that? So I see where it comes from. I see the kind of idea of like taking something really small and nurturing it and growing it and giving it kind of all you have, like literally your life force, and turning it mm. into. A bigger thing, like a, something that lives beyond you. A small, pinkish, shouting creature that you can never rid yourself of. Yeah. yeah. And it's very expensive. That makes sense. <laughs> um, I, I understand it that yeah. way. Yeah. But I also, like, I also don't like it because, like, you can't give birth to a book because... Like, you can write your book, but then you give it to somebody else and they help you do something else to it. And then you send it to the designer and the typesetter. And, like, all of this other stuff happens beyond you. And, like, the launch of it is not you, at least in traditional yeah. publishing. And it seems like it's it's ignoring the rest of the process. Yeah. So, I don't know. But anyway, so the book doula. This is a person who, I guess, according to what we read here in The Guardian, is just... It's someone who is just there for you along the way. They are someone who is going to reassure you. They're someone who's going to help you work through anxiety. They're going to help you do all these things, and you're going to pay them what seems to be a fairly hefty fee along the way to do all that yeah. stuff. Like they're going to be the one that calls you and is like, so, honey, what have you written today? <laughs> Which, to be fair, I did for you, and you do for me, and we don't charge each other any money. Yeah, um, that's going to change. I'm gonna, you're, you'll be getting an invoice from me soon. <laughs> Wait, shouldn't I be giving you an invoice? Come on now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess, like, to me, I don't necessarily love it because – don't we have this kind of these kind of things available in all these other ways? Like I feel like most writers um, have like you know writing groups or you know they hire. If you're really looking to hire someone, like why not a freelance editor or a yeah who's actually gonna like do more things than than just kind of like coach you through something. I also think there's kind of a strange dichotomy here that this you know service sort of points out, which is that we're not going to be your agent. We're going to be the person like emotionally supporting you through your book process. We're going to be your partner to help you reach your book goals. What the hell is my job then? Like I feel like that's (laughs) most of what agenting is too. It's just like being – so in a way, Laura, we're both book doulas. Oh, that's nice. Just helping our authors just have some birth. That's good. (laughs) That's really good. Um, Yeah. Good. We should change our business cards then. Yeah. I feel like that's very important. I feel like yeah. we should like make some business cards first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel yeah. I feel like I, I just kind of like as an agent, I bristle at that difference, you know, like that a book doula is a partner helping you reach your publishing goals because mm-hmm. like that discounts a lot of the other work you have in publishing with other people like this. Everybody tries to talk about publishing like it's a solitary endeavor. Like, mm-hmm. it's just you laying on the bed, giving birth to your book, right? Oh, <laughs> See, that it's just grossing me out the more that I say it. Yeah. Um, but it's not. Like, there's so many people. Do you know what I also take a little bit of umbrage at? Yeah. Um, so I have, I have worked with self-published authors for many, many years. Right. I'm very, very protective of, yeah. like, high-quality self-publishing. Right. And a lot of these 
book doulas are selling themselves as book doulas, editors, and writing coaches. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them also provide like book design and distribution and like proofreading services. And that it's like what it what that seems to me is it seems like a way to attract people who don't know any better and take their money. Because like if you are considering self-publishing right now and the same person offers to do a developmental edit of your book and to do your cover design, run away. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? Like these are – those are different people. Those are different people. Yeah, no, I mean I also feel like – you know, self-publishing more and more is having kind of a moment, right? Like it's it's become a much more professionalized thing. It's some it's got features of the publishing process, especially in like promotion, that authors are able to take more and more into their own hands. Like it's becoming, in essence, like a more viable thing all the time. Yes. Right. And well, so, it's a valid option. Exactly. That's yeah. that's my point. And this feels like the opposite of that in a way like this feels like it's pushing back toward that direction of self-publishing is like a hobby for your own like you know emotional fulfillment yeah yeah, exactly which is fine but like it's if you know and like I said if you want these things if you do want emotional support during your writing process obviously you probably do but like there are places to get it that aren't also taking your well taking your money so I have a question for you, Eric. Yeah. Do you – I know I know that as, as somebody who does freelance editing for mm-hmm. a lot of individual yeah. writing clients, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you're very, very skeptical of a lot of the related cottage industries and the quality they're in. Right. Um, and I know that you're also a writer. Yeah. Do you think that something like this, which is basically offering kind of a whole package deal mm-hmm. that's couched in instead of like quality, for example, it's couched in a lot of like emotional connection and comfort. Yeah. Do you think that this is kind of an attempt at kind of either making writing a book less difficult for individual people or do you think that it's kind of just playing into the idea that writing is impossible so you need to pay somebody to help you do it to me where where i get a little um rankled by this is it just it's it makes writing a book in seem as though it is purely an emotional and not a technical process. Mm. It makes it into a hobby that you do to feel good, which to be clear, you do do that. Like writing, you should feel good as you write your book. You should, like it is all the emotional things that this book doula is claiming to help foster, but that is not in a substitute for editorial and technical expertise in creating the book that you want if you're trying to do it in a manner beyond just, you know, having it for yourself, you know, like... I don't know, like the reason I don't, I think this is so far separate from like a freelance editor is a freelance editor comes with a very, very clear task they're preparing to do for you. You know, they they are going to edit your book and you're presumably hiring this person because they have experience editing books on a very, like they're giving you some, they're giving you a deliverable that is tangible yeah. and is kind of grounded in not entire. I mean, obviously, it, it's hard to say like entirely results based because it's not as though a freelance editor is suddenly magically waving a wand and making a book deal appear. But like, you can expect for your money that your book is going to improve based on having it looked at by someone who is professionally capable of it, at editing books, right? But this is this is something else. This is like taking the emotional aspect of of the creative process, a very real part that needs fostering, 
and just like making it into the entire equation. Yeah. Like rather than an editor, suddenly you're talking to someone who's telling you that it's like sometimes, you know, <laughs> sometimes editing shouldn't make you feel good. You know, sometimes, like sometimes it should make you cry. <laughs> Yeah. And like that, you know, there's there's some childbirth metaphor for it. Um, But like, I don't know. It's to me, it's just a little bit fluffy. This and like I again, it's not as though the emotional support factor and the reassurance and things like those are all necessary. But like the resources abound to get that for far less than having to pay someone whose entire role is is that. And so. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit skeptical. So no birth doulas, or well, maybe a birth doula, maybe but no birth book doulas. Doula. Yeah, no book doulas for. Don't tell me what I Eric. need. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like I need a doula for like other parts of my life. I know. I want an agenting doula. I want someone who can like just like sit in the back of the room and like as I'm on like cup of coffee number seven and like extremely logged on. Can be like, hey, Eric, maybe you should like, maybe you should do a little work today. Maybe you should, you know, get that edit done, like that kind of thing. Like that'd be pretty helpful. Maybe like a dog would do that for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I should get just kind of like look at you and be like, you know, because like dogs can like judge you when they know that you're breaking from routine. Yeah, you know, just like a dog who would just like look at you and be like, I know you're I not working. That's why I can't get a dog because the dog, the dog <laughs> would judge me. It would be yeah. No, or that would you be could disaster. get like a parrot and train it to yell, "Do your work!" Oh my god, yeah. Do your work. <laughs> yeah, some some pet. Or I can just like call you every hour don't, on the wa- hour and go, "Do your work." Don't don't you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Text messages then. Yeah. Noted. Um. Okay. So the verdict I think from us is you probably don't need a book doula. You uh-huh. might need a birth doula. Yeah, 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 folks, folks. If you're if you're giving birth. Seek out the thing you need. Like, obviously, I know you're listening to this podcast for childbirth advice. Uh, that'll be, like, our next Patreon episode that we launch <laughs> once a month. It's just, like, child-rearing advice. Yep. Um, Things to know about yeah. your two-year-old. Yeah. Yep. So we're we're fast-forwarding quite a bit here. We've talked a lot about birth mm-hmm. this episode. Now we're going <laughs> to talk a lot about death. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So there's a book. That just came out this week, came out on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and it's a book that I've been hearing about for months and months and months because that's that's how books get buzzed. Um, but the book is by Adam Silvera, who is a very well-renowned YA author, and the uh-huh. book is called They Both Die at the End. Hmm. And for many, many months, um, I have been bothered by this, I think. Um, I have this history of feeling really betrayed by books whose titles tell me that people die. Mm-hmm. So, for example, They Both Die at the End, John Dies at the End, The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow, yeah. those sort of books. And, I am I mean, I'm going to read this book, but but I feel, I feel we, weird about it. Well, can I ask – so the question here, I think, what lies at the essence of, like, this sort of feeling is, like, is the title – part of the story itself right like is the title something that is meant to play into the reading experience and i think that that becomes a question that's not only for writers but also for like publishers and like people in um like trying to figure out how to sell and market a book um but i guess like so from a let's start from like a craft perspective here Mm -hmm. like with your book titles and we can talk about how you and i approach titles with our authors um in a minute here but um question 
Do they both die at the end in this book? Are we I mean, sure? I don't know. Are we sure? I would assume. Because, well, I don't know because maybe they don't die at the end. I don't know. I haven't read it. But like one thing that I think would be interesting, the reason I kind of like this title at, a, at first blush is that it plays it plays with reader expectation, right? Like to say they both die at the end, I think you kind of open yourself up for two what feels like pretty interesting endings. You know, because in one case, they do both die at the end and you've got this, you've spent the entire book kind of knowing that that shadow is looming and yeah. can maybe affects your, your reading experience. And then the other, you know, is, you know, they don't. And then you've got some sort of rejection of that, you know, overhanging theme that you kind of enter the project with. So I don't know, like, I get what you're saying about um, titles sort of playing into spoiling, you know, the book itself. And, um, but... I kind of I don't know I'm kind of into it so maybe we just disagree here. I'm I'm not not into it. Yeah. It's just like I am having very intense like emotional flashbacks to when I read um A Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, yeah. right? And I remember reading this and I you know and the, and this is a book about about a you know somebody's life, right? Yeah, and right. then he spoiler alert except not really cuz it's in the title. dies yeah. really young. Yeah. And I remember feeling kind of betrayed because I had hoped that this that this protagonist, that this hero of the story mm-hmm. would conquer and the title and, of and, the book. And would yeah, yeah, like like not just conquer the things that are happening in it, yeah. but just like conquer the entire product and would like make it and yeah. like you know, <laughs> and and I just remember just feeling really let down by just the fallibility of humans because this character died when like I wanted them to not and I wanted right, them because, to live on. And it was like a death sentence at the beginning of the book and yeah. then they had to overcome it. But see, I think that that even that poignant of a feeling speaks well of the title in a way because you do sort of enter with this challenge, right? Well, let's see if, you know, let's see what it, it's kind of thought provoking, you know, and it makes you, um, it makes you engage with the text right like right from the first. It gives you like some expectation. And I don't know, like I've always kind of been a fan of book titles that sort of engage with the story, like the product itself and the reading space. Like I don't know, like, you know, A Little Life, you know, that mm. book is like a, this enormous thing, you know, and it's got this kind of quaint little title. And to me, um, you know, that's kind of cool too because it's sort of this understatement that then works in an entirely different direction. And I don't know. But clearly, if I'm still talking about my I mean. feelings about this book, like more than six years after I read it, yeah, like clearly it matters. So maybe like from a publishing perspective, of course you would want to do this. It, yeah. Well, so let's let's talk about um, the publishing perspective for a yeah. second here. And let's talk about kind of how titles happen in books. Um, so the sort of the sort of life cycle, I guess, you know, first of all, you know, the writer after consulting with his or her book doula, um, <laughs> comes up with um, comes up with a title for their manuscript. Yes. Right. They've got some, you know, something they're willing to call their book. Maybe it's a working title. Maybe they come up with it after the end. Who knows? Um, but you you have the title and then you submit it to an agent, you know, with that title and the query and everything. And that's where you and I come in. Yes. Right. So let's say you sign a book any any novel and it's got a title how set are you on that title zero i am zero set and so here's here's the thing that you all might not know about me but many of my authors do 
I am absolute rubbish at titles. Like I can, you know, as a reader, like I can see a title and recognize and be like, ooh, that's a good one. But in terms of like coming up with them for my authors, it's just it's just embarrassing. I've been on those I've been on those text threads with you and Lily trying to do this. I I like you guys get going, I just like hit mute. <laughs> but anyway, um yeah, no. So I kinda I'm in the same boat. Like honestly, as I read queries, um I I don't even I barely even look at the I don't title. Care. Like I don't I mean it's I mean I care that there is one. Yeah, no, if it's like a really good title, then I'd be like, ooh, that's that's interesting and it kinda catches my eye. But like a bad title for a book in at like query stage or like our stage before there's like a deal or a publisher involved, I could care less. So you could call your book any terrible thing you want and it would not deter me from reading the rest of it. Like I don't care because it's probably gonna get changed yep. either Maybe by Maybe more than once. Probably probably more than once. Either by me or I mean by us. Like it's not a decision I would make, but like you kind of it would certainly be part of that first editorial conversation like hey is this the title that you feel you want is this the one that's going to be the most provocative in pitches um all that kind of stuff and eventually you know you sell it to an editor right and i think that that's where that's where things get interesting because one thing about titles is that they tend to um that there, it's it's sort of like a code it's sort of like a code word in a way in that it, it implies certain things about the book based on the kind of title like I feel like YA titles are different than litfic titles oh, are yeah. different you know what I mean like they're you know and like having a title that like is able to kind of hit those like resonate with those notes for that genre I think like you 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 end up talking about the project without actually talking about it by getting a title that's right, and so it's interesting to kind of look at like trends in both you know in all those genres. Like I don't know, they both die at the end. This is a this is a YA novel. This is so that it feels like a YA title. Yeah. Honestly, like it kind of ring it kind of rings that way. You know, it's um, it's it's a little bit I don't know like glib. I guess you know like yeah. it's got that kind of. Um, meta thing going on that I think are, you know, is sort of in in YA titles yeah. right now. I was I, I spent some time at my bookshelves yeah. this morning. Um and I kind of like I was thinking about like, okay, so young adults or like, you know, genre fiction, yeah. you know, what what makes those titles feel that way? And yeah. I couldn't really come up with a really kind of standard kind of concept that makes something sound like a science fiction or fantasy novel. And I think it's just because, like, you have so many variables there. Like, it's just so, so, so broad. Yeah. And you're hitting so many different audiences that it's kind of, like, you can see a lot of consistency in, like, series titles. So, like, The Lives of Tao, The Deaths of Tao, The Rebirths of Tao, or, like, Soulless, Changeless, Blameless, like, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know it works, but... So those work really well. You know, like one word titles are really common. But one thing that I found a lot of consistency with was young adult titles. Yeah, right. So there's 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 always like this joke, this joke like meme on social media where it's like, OK, like take the month you were born and the color of your eyes and then like whatever. <laughs> and then you'll get your yeah, YA title. That's funny. Yeah. And so like and one of the things that's really common recently is like. Something of something and something. So like yeah. daughter of smoke and bone. Yeah. Or, sure. you know, that sort of thing um, where it seems like the 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 cadence of YA titles are kind of a little bit more musical. Cadence I think. is so key 
in I think in both YA and litfic, and then obviously like you know we'll talk about nonfiction here in a second, but yeah. like, um, yeah, that cadence because I think that books have started to sound like. I don't. I, mean, I don't really know how to put it other than this. It feels like when you look at like the Man Booker list or like the Pulitzer list, those books in their titles sort of sound similar. Like there's sort of a cadence to like a book yeah. that uh, you're pitching as like this is kind of the big literary event of the year. So there's just a, yeah. Just looking at like I just pulled up the old Millions article. That's like the second half of 2017 yeah, book right, preview. Right. Who is rich? What we lose? Out in the open. Goodbye, vitamin. Made for love. Sex and rage. Like. Th- Okay, Sour so, heart, like there's a there's a similar yeah, cadence is, to all of these. But there's also something really funny happening in um, uh, adult litfic titles that I think is kind of interesting right now, which is like that that pronoun that kind of gets stuck in there, like the you know the who is rich, you know what we lose. I mean, you're starting to see more like verbose titles that use like almost like relative clauses, mm. like or relative like. I don't know. My grammar is off for this morning. But you know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, for instance, like what belongs to you? Yeah. These are, you know, like that sort of title where you've got the, you know, the pronoun. And What's then, the Saffron Foer book from last year? Oh, that was Here I Am. Yeah. Yeah. But like things, um, it's just like a little bit more, there's like more words to it, more unnecessary words. Yes. And like, you know, like I feel like a book that you would call, for instance, just like shooting from the hip here. A book that you would call, like in 2010, you would call it, like beautiful things. Mm-hmm. Now, it would, now it would be called that which is beautiful. You know, like think, <laughs> things like you know what I'm saying, like something yeah. like that. And the point, the cadence, the, and cadence, the cadence has changed. And the reason people are now willing to put in all these extra words into their titles um, is because you're trying to hit that cadence. Like the yeah. cadence is more important than the words themselves, I think. And um, I guess like we've kind of that is become more true lately, um, and I guess we've kind of gotten past um, girls and cities and fires. Yeah. Oh, we haven't in <laughs> YA though. One oh, thing that I've noticed. That well, so we're not necessarily in girls and cities and fire, but one thing that I noticed is that there's like a lot of like gritty natural imagery. So an ember in the ashes, daughter of smoke and bones, city of bones, yeah. et cetera. Like there's lots of bones and fire and ice and trees and metals yeah. and and like kind yeah. of this it's very elemental. It, it's very yeah. elemental. Like yeah. even, you know, even outside of of genre fiction. And, you know, but it all has that like beautiful, like single syllabic Mm-hmm. words you know a daughter of smoke and bone and even like in contemporary you know y- you get really long titles yeah. with lots of like unnecessary words in them but it creates a a uniform phrase unlike yeah. Yeah. adult fiction yeah. so for example simon versus the homo sapiens agenda <laughs> that is one book title but you can't cut any of that out yeah right you have the only thing worse than me is you right like that kind of thing or like what's um What's Dana Schwartz's book called? Is it called like Away We Go or something? something I don't yeah. remember. She's got a YA novel out now. That's cut. It's but like you're saying, it's that kind of longer phrase. Um, and I think I saw some collection of essays called like We We Are Never Meeting in Real Life or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, that's a good title. It is a good. No, these are all good titles, and the reason they ring out is good. I don't think that you would read these titles and think that they were really good like five years ago. I think no, you would read them and not. say that's weird. Like why are there so many words? Because I think that used to be a thing, and it, in a way, it still is a thing in nonfiction. Like one thing that happens a lot in nonfiction is trying to cull away words in titles, like because. 
I don't know, you just want the... Um, you need a subtitle in there. Right, because the, that's the thing, is because the thing in nonfiction that always, and this like drove me nuts on the editorial side as we would like try to come up with these things, is you want the really, really snappy one or two word title, mm. and then the verbose searchable subtitle that gets everybody... You <laughs> with know, all the keywords With all it. the keywords, exactly. So like we used to do this thing at, um, at Oxford University Press. It was called, it was called Title-rama. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Okay. Tell me more. <laughs> and it would be like right before the kind of uh, sales conference sort of thing. And we would all – basically, we would get the uh, marketing and publicity team. And I guess even the cover designer would be in on this, um, which is an interesting facet of this too, actually. Um, and they would all get together without the editors, right? Mm. And they would basically go through the list of upcoming books and decide which titles they didn't like. Were you and jealous then, that these meetings were happening without you? Well, it wasn't jealousy. It was more just like you were just sitting there waiting for the like the annotated list of things they think were wrong, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you would get this list that was like, hmm, maybe we should workshop this, 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 or this. And you would then have to go based on all the titles they said that they hated and go and like fix it. And you would have to work with like a marketer. You'd have to work with your publicist. You'd obviously, obviously you'd have to work with the author in the end. Um, but it was all – none of it was about accurately – like in a way, I, mean, I guess some of it is. But like accurately representing what was like in the book and like being true to the tone of the book was like a slice of the pie of mm. the equation, not the yeah. entire equation. Like what was really important was making sure that you sounded like the other big books in the genre. Yep. Right? And then making sure that you were you were searchable, you know? And – um, but not too searchable because um, some of you might not know this, book titles can't be copyrighted. Right. So you can't have the title like a super generic, boring title that, yes, is something that everybody searches. But if there's yeah. 15 books that have that title. Right. No, you, know, you, gotta, you have to kind of come, you know, distinct. But um, <laughs> it just got it got tricky because and I think this is something that maybe authors don't think about as much, you know, when they're first coming up with the perfect title for their, you know, intellectual, you know, opus, uh, magnum opus, um, is that the title is so much less about what it is you're trying to write and more about who you're trying to sell to and, like, what you're trying to sound like. And, like, I guess, like, even um, even covers yeah. start to kind of relate to the title because similar to how, like you were saying with um, They Both Die in the End – the title ends up reflecting and like overshadowing the book itself in a way that is meant to change the reading experience. Titles also interact with the cover, yeah, right. And so, like sometimes you can have a title that um, has a phrase in it that is then entirely in line with the cover image. Maybe it's entirely contradictory, and there's something interesting about the way the image plays against the word that would seemingly have nothing to do with it, you know. But like the point is that. Um, you know, cover designers are often the most picky title people in the whole world yeah. because they end up having to like I don't know. We I remember sometimes we would fight about um, we would fight about subtitles. Subtitles are the worst because <laughs> they they're always too long. Yeah, they're and you have to think about from cover design, they need to fit the title right, and exactly. have it readable and have yeah and have it readable and have it in the typescript they want and like have it um, look okay on the spine and have it look you know all these different design based things. The other thing that was always really, um, I, I guess I wouldn't call it I, well you know what I said what I would call it aggravating, um, 
academic, like nonfiction authors, like especially ones who are um, writing on like in history or um, any sort of like faux academic subject for a general audience, they anytime you ask them for a subtitle, the first thing they try to do is get every single topic of the in the book into the <laughs> subtitle, and you end up with these giant like paragraph. There's like one person submitted me it's, a subtitle once. It had like a semicolon like in it, like a paper extract. Yeah, exactly. It was like it's like man, and we got you got to trim this. You got to trim this down, man. And but the point, the reason that disconnect happens is because. It's not a. It's a selling tool. It's not about you know, and like so much of, um, so much of a book's chances at every stage, comes down to, does the book sound like the the books that people in this category buy? Yeah. And and does it in 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 some way reflect what this reading experience is going to be like? Yeah. In in whatever sort of way. Yeah. I I think that. It's really, really hard from because we come in right at the beginning, right? It's really, mm-hmm. really hard for a writer most of the time to separate out a title from the book because, yeah. like, if you're saying like, "I wrote a book," like, what it is is the title. Yeah. I wrote a yeah. book is saying I wrote this title, yeah. right? But the work is not the title. Like the title, I think. 99% of it is a marketing sales decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, question for you, Eric. Do yeah. you pay attention to book titles when you read? Yes. Really? Yeah. Okay, talk to me about what that looks like. Well, like, well so what do you mean? Because well, I just, you know, like I, so I, I do most of my book browsing nowadays um, based on, like on my on my phone because I I download a lot of audiobooks, mm-hmm. right? So like I'll yeah. be browsing through whatever category I want to read and I'll see a cover and I'll click on mm-hmm. the cover and then I'll just read the blurb right away. And a lot mm-hmm. of the time, like I don't even look at the title at all. Yeah. And I just I just don't really care. Yeah. I don't know. I care. I mean, because to me in the reading experience, the title is often an, a like subtle ascribing of importance within the book itself like the author Mm. like I guess actually this is interesting because when when I'm a reader like just reading like for fun um, I assume that titles come from the author which I know not to be true in my (laughs) professional existence but you still do it but but the reason I do that is because let's say as you're reading the title phrase appears in the book itself your ears perk up a little right like you think okay this is a moment that the author has chosen in a subtle nod to emphasize as important or to play with my expectation, you know, to really grab my attention for a second. And so it feels like a craft choice while you're reading. But it that becomes so much more complicated when you think about the fact that so many book titles don't come from – like they're not thought about in that way. So like – I've but, sent so many interns like through a manuscript. And I was like, pull out pull phrases out, yeah, that exactly. could be a yeah, book title. Right. It's sort of reverse engineered that way, right? Yeah. And, um, I don't know, like, but I, I definitely pay attention to titles. And I, honestly, like, if I were to talk about, like, my queries, you know, and how I kind of select books, one thing that perks my ears up is when a query title sounds like the category, mm. not because I totally love it, but because it suggests that that person has read widely in that cat. Like, they understand the cadence, right? Like, they're speaking the language of the sort of book they're trying to write. And I find that to be, like... In the terms, like, so much of, like, responding to queries is, like, does this author appear to have, like, done his or her homework, right? Like, does it seem like they 
have really like they really understand the market that they're getting into and like a nice way to do that honestly and maybe we should talk about this on our query show one time but um it's just to like have a title that sounds like a book title you know yeah, like sounds like true. something that belongs in the category that sounds professional and ready to roll um though you know like again like there would be a stretch there where like every um and this is honestly still true true now i get a lot of titles that are still about uh, girls and trains and fires and cities and uh, <laughs> um, all of the yeah, it's whereas all, if I would see any all, of those yeah, things yeah, I would yeah. be into it except yeah. for the word all the the word all is not in yeah. children's yeah um but yeah I mean I think that um <laughs> I was I'm trying to like my most scarring my most scarring title experience I would, I would love <laughs> to hear this story um I had been working on this book title for a very long time because it, it came in and it like our publisher hated it hated the title even though I, even though I thought it was good and it was good for the record. What was but, it? Oh, we're not going to get into that. Um, but anyway, so I spend like a day, like tweaking it, like with like a notebook, like jotting things down, making a new subtitle, doing all this stuff. It's like hours of work, like trying to do this research and get this. I'm like, this could be an extensive process, you know. And I walk in to this person's office, and I just he looks up. And <laughs> he's like, all right, what do you got? And I, I just read it aloud in like the first five seconds of the meeting. And he goes, absolutely not. Ah! <laughs> and I was so angry. I, like, I just like immediately turned around and left, like went back to my desk. It, it was terrible. It was, it, was, it, was, it, was really, it was really something. My um, favorite thing is when um, – and this, this happens mostly with IP projects. So like yeah. the, the, the projects where the – you're working with a house on an idea and the author writes it for this particular mm -hmm. house, right? And so you have a working title and then you're going to get the real one, yeah. right? And my favorite thing is when you get the working title and then it's like, okay, it's time to pick the real one. And you spend like hours with your yeah. author like thinking about it and like the house has meetings about it. And you come up with like all of these good ideas and like you fall in love with some of the good ideas, but then somebody else doesn't like it. And then you end up using the actual working title for yeah. the final. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that's always a nice circuitous waste of everything. Yeah, time too. Um, I had the first title change I ever had. We changed the title three times in two weeks. Yeah. Yep. It was. Wow. Um, At what stage was this? Uh, this was after. So like right, right, kind of at the beginning of the editorial process. Mm -hmm. Um, so this was, this was Lily Anderson's first book yeah. actually, which yeah. is now called the only thing worse than me is you. Yeah. Um, again with the cadence. Right. Um, but so we shopped this book around. So this is a retelling of much ado about nothing. Mm -hmm. So we shopped the book around as the Mary war, which is a, like, which is a line from the actual play. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, it was fine. Like, actually, I still kind of call it that in my head. Mm -hmm. I have to, like, remind myself what the actual right. title is now. So it was like that for a while. And then we, you know, we talked to the sales and marketing and we talked to the editorial. Um, and they're like, we should change it. And so Lily and I, who are both very bad at titles, were like, shit. Yeah. So we went back to the drawing board. We both, like, combed through um, Much Ado. You know, mm -hmm. trying to, like, find some other stuff, yeah. like, doing all this. Um, and then we came up with all our bad parts, hmm. which... Which also sounds very cadency. It it it's kind of gets muddled a yeah. little bit. Like, it yeah. gets, it's not great because it gets muddled. And also, if you look at it, yeah. it seems like it's a dirty joke. Yeah. So right. we were totally fine with that. And they were totally fine with that. But then all of a sudden, like, 
Lily was like telling people about it and then it just like you know it's just like garbled and so we went back and we're like this sounds like a dick joke and it's hard to say right and they're like we agree yeah so I've got like a lot of book publishing like marketing decisions surrounding like dirty jokes (laughs) um someday you will hear all of that hear all of them wonderful audience so then we changed it to the only thing worse than me is you yeah which took a lot of work yeah (laughs) which is really funny because then we had to do it for the companion novel and like almost the exact same thing happened actually we we didn't even give the companion novel a name because it's like we're just it's too much like it's too much it's um one thing we called it number two (laughs) (laughs) well the thing with committing to a title too early um is that like the one one thing that drives um like cover people insane um, the designers is changing is changing the title while they're designing. Oh things. my god! They get so mad and like you, they'll like come up with like some perfectly spaced out you know script and stuff for the title on there, and then you'd be like, actually, we like added a bunch of adjectives and stuff, <laughs> and like and they have to like go fix it and, and like, change the font right. completely. And like sometimes they're like working with freelancers who they're like paying per like draft of the cover, you know, and like. They- <laughs> Like we've had that happen before, where he's like, we just get like these passive aggressive emails that are like, okay, well, I will if you could just like go in and update the costs for the book, we have to you know up the cover cost again. It's like, oh, well, you know, the author keeps hating it. Like I don't know what we're gonna do. <laughs> it's anyway. The point is that titles are hard. Titles are hard, and they're involved. Often, yeah, and they become something like it's. You sort of have to pick what you want them to be. Are they a book? Are they designed entirely to speak to the book buyer? Are they meant as sort of a craft tool to inform the readers of the book? Um, I don't know. Like it's like to, I'm just like thinking aloud now. Like to me, one of the great titles, and it's very it's very simple. I think, um, and I guess maybe it's more of an image, but like the Underground Railroad. You yeah. know, earlier this year, like to me, that's. Obviously, the most obvious title for that book, but it's all. It also kind of speaks to it's the best one. It's the best one. It like plays with the image. It like it's very direct. It it's puts very, the allegory front and center. Exa- exactly. Like it does all these. Th- it does all these things that um, you know. It, it does a lot of work, right? And um, I don't know. Like when you can hit all those factors, when it can be both a part of the piece of art and part of the way you sell that art, that's probably when you're in you know, the real zone you want to be That's in. That's the golden but, intersection right. that is publishing. That's just tough, though, because, um, and honestly, like, if I had to pick, I would I would rather have a title that sounds like an event book, you know, that sounds like the one that you're going to find uh, frontward facing in your favorite bookstore, you know, on the day of its publication. So bottom line, if you're a writer, is just, like, don't worry about it that much. And if you are a publishing professional who is listening, yeah. uh, definitely worry about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something that a writer really should worry about, though, um, is is our write tip today. Hmm. Oh, wow. So we're talking today about dialogue, specifically um, different characters. Yeah. So one thing that happens if you're not careful when you're writing dialogue, is that eventually all of your characters kind of just, like, speak the same. Right. And while it is true that people who spend a lot of time together kind of adopt very similar phrases or tones or way of expressing certain ideas, um, everybody still has their own distinctive speaking style. And I'm talking about 
vocab. I'm talking about phrases. I'm talking about fillers. So just have like a list handy of, you know, how an individual would respond to something. So like from a very, very basic standpoint, um, Eric as a filler says, well, a lot. And I say K and sure a lot. Mm -hmm. So we, of course, I use the word well, and he says sure a lot. Yeah. Um, but that's not even vocab. Those are just like our little crutch words right. that we use. Right. And I'm sure that if you've listened, like you already know that. Um, no one send me my crutch words, by the way. Like if I like don't do that. If I like log on and like everyone's like tweeting all the things that I say too much, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get mad. Hashtag hello, Laura. Um, that's my crutch word. Anyway, yeah. so that that's those are just little things, let alone, you know, the differences in our actual in our actual like sentence construction. Sure. And I probably use a lot more run on sentences than Eric does. You know, we 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 speak differently. And so make sure that as you are writing your characters, the people you're making up in your head, mm -hmm. that they sound like they're real, different, discreet people. Well, so the way um, we were kind of talking about this off the air and the way you sort of had for doing this, right, was like just like keeping a list yeah. for each character, right? Like having something that um, like just like a running tally of, okay, this character uses this sort of vocabulary. Or this you know, character like, uses people's names it, more. Yeah, just like those little bits of cadence and stuff. And like one thing that will also help you do is avoid like getting like overly vernacular. Yeah. Like if you've got like a historical novel or a book set in a certain region where like characters talk a certain way, um, like obviously the pitfall there is to like become like, you know, suddenly everyone is just like got this like twang or something twang or a southern drawl or like everyone in your all your minnesota characters are saying you betcha you know what i mean like it's <laughs> you end up you can avoid some of that exaggerative stuff while also sounding authentic if you like are keeping close watch on how your characters speak um and i don't know that's an easy that's an easy way to do it that is an easy one so make your lists work on your cover titles but not that much um, mm -hmm. and definitely tune in next Thursday for our query show and send us your queries and first pages to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next week. Bye.